0: Hey, this is Michael from the LibUX podcast about design and user experience for libraries and the higher ed web. I am joined by super special guest, Meg Ecclestone today. Hi, Meg. Hi, Michael. She is coming on to the LibUX podcast to pilot a new basics... Q&A series um, that's going to kind of be like bonus supplementary content. And um, Meg, I thought it was really cool because like a couple of, I think it was only a couple of days ago, you posted on your blog saying like, oh man, there's not really a lot of good introductory UX material. Yep. Can you kind of like uh, explain where you're coming from?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I am not a web librarian or a UX librarian by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I'm curious to learn more about that area. I don't have a background. I'm just kind of your traditional liaison librarian in a lot of ways. Um, so I ended up joining a Coursera MOOC, some higher jargon for you, um, around kind of design, design principles, human computer interaction, and UX. And it got me thinking about, um, you know, are there other introductory tools for our community for people like me? So uh, I went on a little Google quest and found some tools and some articles. And of course, I came across you and Amanda um, and the many resources that you guys have online for people trying to wrap their heads around the lib ux world
0: yeah so like there's a ton of stuff you know like we share a space we're more of like the informal space that's shared with i don't know the lita ux interest group weave um others like other awesome professionals that we've had the privilege of like interviewing before um but yeah you're you said something like oh there's not a lot of i don't know what the phrase was there's not a lot of stuff out there for a for dummies, Correct. <laughs> so, um, so I I just kind of like hit you up randomly and I pitched a podcast to you. I was like, hey, let's do this. Let's make content for dummies. For
1: dummies like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so what the format of this uh, is going to be, except for this special very first episode where there's all this front matter, each episode is going to be a singular topic. One question, an answer, and, and really probably a little bit of back and forth around that singular topic. That might be 10 minutes, it might be 30 minutes, but um, it's hopefully will uh, be useful to folks who aren't coming into it from, I don't know, like positions of already having experience. Like one of the things that we do with LibioX is we kind of... Intend content to be for like the intermediate, which is
1: yep, a lot of insider baseball.
0: Yeah, then, mm-hmm. but that's just because that's what we like to geek out about, right? Yeah. So, um, so I thought this was going to be cool because I'm incredibly tangential and I like to geek out. But I'm going to geek out with you, and you're going to call me on my bullshit when I start <laughs> like talking like (laughs) talking about things that don't make
1: sense yeah if i bring nothing to the table it's my the fact that i know nothing about this topic that is my great strength here and i'll absolutely bring it
0: All right, so let's start with uh, the very first question, which is going to be...
1: Okay, um, yeah, and it's actually really easy for me to to pump out these questions into a Google Doc because they've really been bouncing around my brain for a really long time. So I'm really grateful to have somebody to answer them for me. Um, so the first question I have uh, kind of relates to the sort of the professional development I've been trying to do online. And the thing is, is that when you take courses... Um, Online, you learn about a lot of concepts in abstract. So, like, I've learned a lot, a lot about UX related research techniques. I've come across jargony things like, um, developing personas, (laughs) writing journey maps, heuristic evaluation. I still don't know what heuristic means. Um, but I'm curious to know in the real world of library UX work, what UX research Techniques and tools have you actually used? Like, what is the practical application of these things in real life?
0: Super question. This is really dependent on the kind of human infrastructure you have at your library, at your job. The practical application for you is going to be highly dependent on whether or not you have resources, human and financial, to use some really cool tools, or if you have to do it kind of guerrilla style or whatever so um for me I at my day job, I am part of a really a two person web team that has that is part of a committee that is very user centric we have good user centric principles, but I'm really the only one there so for me, because I have access to all of the web services, because that's what I do. Um, and, you know, I have to kind of maximize my reach as one person. The practical application of UX in my line of work involves very much the the quantitative tracking, heat maps, analy- analytics, um, and everything that goes all around that. Now, what I'm able to do is, you know, I'm, I'm a systems librarian, so I have access to actual laptops and everything like that. So we do sit people down, And we'll craft a scenario with um, some sort of like video capture software, and we will like we will walk them through the use of a new tool. Or we just did like Novacat uh, a few months ago. I'm sorry, Novacat is our um, card catalog. And um, we we create we create a scenario. We try to do this without influencing their decisions. We ask them to complete a task, and we just observe. And we're you know we're we're video capping their like everything they do on the laptop. Um, so this is really useful and this is something, but this is also, this also requires, um, the commitment of time from two or three other people. I can't just do this on my own. Even that happens a lot more rarely than maybe the ideal would be, but this is just the reality for me. So like what I have immediate access to all the time and I can, I can deploy new heat maps and and like kind of like online surveys and click tracks and funnels, um, These things are just in my wheelhouse. I also happen to have a bias where I think the quantitative data is probably more important than qualitative data that you get through surveys. Hmm. However, if my situation were different and I weren't the web services librarian or like many libraries, I don't have like the 100% control over our server that we do here, then yeah, sure. I would totally go after the surveys or whatever. Let me um, say that one of the best things that I've done, and I totally recommend it. The University of Michigan a few years ago presented at ALA, and I only know this because I saw the slide, (laughs) um, called... uh, XO, like like crosses and knots, XO participatory design, which is like a legit, it's published, so it's legit. <laughs> like a, It's a really fancy way to describe having a screenshot of your website and then asking people to cross out things they don't like, circle the things they do. <laughs> um, you would be surprised how freaking valuable that is. Um, we actually conducted one. Uh, this is way more. Usually you only need like six to nine people to, to get a feel of the major pain points and opportunities to improve say at least a website. But we had an opportunity to make seven hundred and fifty graduate students do this. Wow. And the patterns that come out are just dramatic. They're they're almost hurtful. All seven hundred and fifty of us do not like this part of the website. <laughs> wow. And you collect enough for these and you know, the patterns emerge.
1: And so this the stuff you're talking about, it sounds like, um, are towards improved web design. Like that's the that's what's implied in everything you're saying. Is that you People are deploying this in order to improve their
0: website. So that is the bias that I bring to everything because I am a front-end developer. My job description is web-centric. You hear and we preach, uh, gosh, you know, the user experience is a holistic value. It's also about the person-to-person contact, the, the experience of the service. What I do is like 99% web-centric one of the things that i we've been able to do that's about like um identifying problem points in the service uh are through these customer journey maps which all it is it's it measures like like a point a to a point e identifying you know the touch points in between my favorite example is of a of library card registration for like public libraries What like what is the entire process and what And can you identify each point that the patron has to interact with a site or a piece of paper or or a person to complete this task of registering for a card? And so you can literally sketch it, but maybe it's just a matter of doing like bullet points. It's like, oh, the person pulls up into the parking lot. They have to pay a dollar for parking. They, you know, like every time they just have like a little interaction like that, you make a note of it. For a lot of libraries, you see um, that. You may have, like, an awesome service, card registration, reference, whatever. You may have something really cool. Maybe you've even optimized that specific experience to be really good. But what you see with customer journey maps is, like, well, the customer journey really begins in traffic, like, three miles away, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So this is a really useful thing to do. In fact, there was a report by, like, I think eMarketer a year ago that showed that customer journey maps are really, you know, if you, if your budget is tight, if your human resources are tight – um, in terms of like bang for buck, that's one of the best things you can do because it's a really low budget. You just sketch it out or whatever. You stalk people for a little bit and see what they do. And if you haven't completed one before, you know, like the, the realities of the service process are interesting and then you can dig down. It's like, why why does it take this long to fill out a form? Well, we have an old policy, you know, so you, you start to uncover like that. So it's it's fairly useful in terms of just like an exercise. But there's other things. Uh, Jason Griffey has measured the future and when I see Jason Griffey, I mean, I, I'm, I know he's working with somebody else, but I forget. Um, so there is this Knight Foundation program called um, Measure the Future, which I believe is essentially like a Google Analytics for the physical library. Um, you know, this demographic likes to spend all this time over here in this bookshelf, you know, stuff like that. So these tools are becoming readily available. And, you know, as they become available, it's more it, – it increases the opportunity for – a single person who's interested or in charge of user experience to map and quantify or whatever. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that answered anything, but um,
1: no, that's super helpful. Well, and it's useful to make it easy for people to do unilaterally because I think that's the reality of a lot of academic librarians. So
0: yeah, I think there's, there's this, um, certain, um, Idealism about incorporating user experience or user centricity into like the organization. Um, Coral Sheldon Hess has, has this wonderful um, model that shows I don't know like how uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's um it's basically like a little ladder, a five step ladder that lets you kind of position where your organization is in terms of how user centric it is. So like if like one is like the worst business in the world no one cares about the no one cares about the user experience they just care about whatever and five is disney world so where do you where are you in between and that's fairly useful i think the reality for a lot of libraries for a lot of like higher ed organizations i think the highest that you can really aspire to realistically aspire to unless you are a big boss um but if you're sort of like somewhere like middle management or below then I think the highest you can aspire to is um, a level three on her ladder. And all that is is that, hey, you have a little bit of a committee. Generally, people think about what's good for the patron, what's good for the user. It's not totally ingrained. You still require someone to really champion the cause. You still require someone to really organize everything. Maybe that's a single UX librarian or whatever, but... I think that's a pretty good place to shoot for. I think that's fairly attainable. I think it's unlikely that um, anyone's going to, like any libraries are even going to get to like a four or five. I suspect that there are even, like these larger libraries that have whole user experience departments aren't really that user-centric. I think by nature of having a specific user experience department or of a specific user experience librarian, you're shifting that weight and responsibility onto a single entity when the responsibility should be... Everyone's.
1: Yep. Interesting.